Hello and welcome to the Low Tox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 125. I am really thrilled to bring back one of my favorite guests and one of the most popular shows we've done, which was actually right back at the beginning when we started the show, number seven on hidden deficiencies with integrative pediatrician, Dr. Layla Masson. And she's back today and we are talking about focus and concentration in our kids, what to do to support those two things, as well as what to know when clinical intervention might be required and what that might look like. This is something that uh, the lines are very blurred on and often we feel pressured to head straight to a doctor's office when there are a number of lifestyle things we can do to support our kids uh, to focus and concentrate when it counts. And often it actually means, which I found really interesting coming from the show that I did recently with uh, Maggie Dent, uh, one of the things she said about supporting um, focus and concentration through increased activity, it comes full circle with a doctor saying the same thing today. So uh, we go in depth and uh, and talk about that in today's show. And I think it's something that maybe even a few adults might feel like they need in the age of technology, uh, a little bit more focus and concentration when it counts. So uh, I hope you enjoy that chat. And before we hook into that chat, I wanted to mention a couple of things. A, how amazing it is that the Lotox Club is building and building. And we've got the very first book being announced for our book club soon, actually next week. Uh, So please do come and join us there. All the details are in the show notes. You basically pledge whatever you fancy pledging per month uh, to not only support the work we do and fund the podcast, but also for us to then continue to be able to support you and uh, grow the conversation on all things low tox. And so once you've pledged on the Patreon website, you um, receive the private Facebook page for our private chat group and a whole bunch of other stuff, 20% off all of our e-courses ongoing for all club members. And uh, as I mentioned, the book club, We have the wonderful practitioner thread every Tuesday where you can ask Steph, our naturopath, uh, any questions, bounce any ideas um, around uh, that you may have been considering to get uh, practitioner guidance on what kind of a conversation to take to your practitioner and uh, also to just kind of make sure what you're doing is safe in the confines of your own home. There's nothing wrong with a little experiment here and there, but I think it's really important in this age of the internet doctor to ensure what you're doing is safe if you do take on your own uh, care in some ways. Uh, And uh, yeah, it's just such a great space, such a great energy. We've got a couple of hundred people in there now, and I know it's only going to grow and grow further. Uh, And when we get to a thousand members, I have a ridiculously exciting announcement. So I'd love that to happen this year because it'd be a pretty cool prize for a lucky winner in the club. Anyway, that's all I'm going to say. Come and join us. It's really great um, and it helps us continue to support you in your low-tox goals as well. So that's always good, right? Now, we have a wonderful offer from a, an Australian-based company this week called Mokosh. And uh, I just like saying it, Mokosh. And the products are beautiful. It's, uh, they don't even use any green chemistry in their products. It is literally whole food, plant-based 
skincare. And uh, it's definitely worth a go, especially if you're not much of a DIYer, but you do want it made beautifully and with high quality ingredients. We at the Lotox team have tried a few of the products ourselves and they definitely get the thumbs up from us. So I'd love to see what you think. Uh, And, uh, you know, really it's all about safer products for us and for our environment. And you can't get much safer than whole food plant-based ingredients. So uh, the code is LTL15. The offer is 15% off the entire range and it's mokosh, M-O-K-O-S-H.com.au or of course you can always head to the show notes, lotoxlife.com forward slash podcast to uh, check that out and um, have all the information in one spot and just go through the link there. Now, uh, on to Dr. Leila Masson. One of the reasons that I have brought Leila back is because we also have the wonderful Mind Foundation Forum, the International Forum, on at the end of March. So that's the end of this month for anyone listening live. And, uh, and I've been a speaker at the event for years. It is an event that brings together a community of parents wanting to do better by their children in the face of so many uh, challenges our children can be experiencing today from metabolic to immunologic to neurological to digestive developmental conditions that often affect the mind, thus the inspiration for the name Mind Forum. Uh, It's a wonderfully useful website, even if you're not in Australia and you do have a child where your family is experiencing a particular health challenge Uh, and uh, you can't access support. It's a wonderful community. Um, But if you can and you are in Sydney or you're prepared to travel to Sydney, March 23rd to 24th, uh, it really is an incredible event. Uh, I'll be speaking at the Food as Medicine Day. I'm doing a presentation on brilliant brassicas uh, because something that people who have uh, multiple health challenges often also have is detoxification issues. And yes, our liver is supposed to do that job for us, but in today, uh, in today's onslaught of environmental toxins, toxins through our food, waterways, uh, and uh, homes with things like mold, detoxification systems can become impaired for a variety of reasons. So I really wanted to focus on this brilliant family of veggies and inspire parents to not only jazz up what we do with them, but to also get it, get them across the line with your kids. This is often half the battle. You know what you want to feed your kids to help them thrive, but how do we do that? So my presentation shall not only show you some tasty treats with Brassica family, including a dessert, mind you, but it will also show you uh, how to communicate, uh, even when communication itself is an issue, uh, in the most basic ways possible, uh, how these foods are going to help your little person thrive or your big person if you've got a teenager and uh, and how to get them across the line. So I'm really looking forward to that. I'm also emceeing on the Sunday in the public room. It's a really, really wonderful day. If you're a practitioner, there are, there's a two-day practitioner-focused conference as well where There's a lot more biochemistry, a lot more detail, scientific detail. But then the public room is really, really wonderful for parents to just get on top of um, the things that they might particularly not understand or therapies they might not realise have been starting to show evidence as working uh, for a number of issues, everything from ADHD, asthma, allergies, autism, chronic illness, depression, learning and language delay, as well as digestive and behavioural disorders. So go check out mind, M-I-N-D-D dot org. 
uh, either just to check it out as a resource if you're not in Australia and can't make the conference or to book your ticket for March 23rd, 24th. It's going to be awesome as it always is. And I will see you there. Now, I'm not going to waste another second. I hope you love this chat with uh, Dr. Leila Masson and uh, I cannot wait to hear your feedback. Uh, I'm loving that people are being more vocal, sharing the podcasts that really resonate with you on Instagram, particular quotes that really hit home. It's just amazing. So thank you, thank you, thank you for spreading the word for us. I really feel like this show changes lives uh, and we just need people to listen to it for that to happen. So every time you spread the word with your friends and family uh, and clients and patients, it is so, so greatly appreciated. Enjoy today's show. Good morning, Leila. How are you? Hi, Alex. I'm great. How are you doing? I'm super well, thank you. And I am really excited to have you back on the show. The first time we chatted, I think it was show number seven on uh, deficiencies. And it's been one of our most popular show among parents in our community um, to help them move forward with their children's health. And, uh, and I thought it was time that we chatted again and went a little bit deeper into a particular subject, a subject that um, an integrative doctor such as yourself as a pediatrician is so passionate about um, and, and just helping parents navigate this whole behavioral thing that is so much talked about, so confused. Does, does my child have a problem? Do I really need to see someone or are they just being an eight-year-old boy and all the questions that people have? Um, and so you are back and I'm thrilled to have you back. Oh, it's such a pleasure. I'm so excited to talk to you. And, you know, I have to tell you that almost every person I meet in my practice has listened to your blog. Aww. You're a very popular person. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is just such a pleasure to bring voices like yours to so many people because, you know, there are many more complexities to health these days than there were just a couple of generations back. And and to be able to help people move the needle and rediscover what, what is going to help people thrive, them or their kids, is, uh, is always a good thing. So let me just start by asking you, just for people who may not have heard that first show or um, haven't come across your work before, can you just share a little bit about you and how you became um, an integrative doctor and what, what made you make that decision? Yeah, so um, I was trained as a pediatrician in San Francisco at UCSF, and it was a you know really tertiary care hospital with all the most uh, rarest diseases, and um, we needed to use obviously a lot of um, medicine. But I saw that the kids who weren't so seriously ill, actually for them it was more of a question of. Um, looking at their nutrition, looking at their stress levels, their lifestyle, they often they were lacking nutrients. And um, that those were things that were really, really important um, to address for everyone. Mm. So what I first did actually, and my first venture into more integrative medicine is that I, I learned uh, hypnotherapy for children, guided imagery. There was a course in America for pediatricians, and I did that, and I used it for the children on the cancer ward with great success. So these were children who were feeling so sick that they couldn't eat from the medications they were getting, the chemotherapy, or they were in pain from lots and lots of procedures. And I started using this guided imagery technique that I had learned, and the kids were all of a sudden starting to eat, and they were you know, not suffering from from the injections and all the 
things that they were undergoing. Wow. And and I remember one day I was actually in a shop somewhere and a mother, a woman came up to me and said, you may not remember me, but you were the pediatrician for my child in the hospital. And I have to tell you, the one best thing that happened to my child was the guided imagery you did with her. Oh, wow. <laughs> How amazing. And, and I thought, wow, you know, if that is what they remember, they don't remember that the other doctor saved her life with the chemotherapy yes. and all those other things. What they remembered was that the child was actually happier, you know, and eating and not so anxious. And then I became, um, over time, I did a master in public health at Harvard University, and I became very interested in nutrition. And it's like one of the centers in the world where they study the impact of nutrition on health. Mm. And um, it really opened my eyes of how important it is, what is what you eat. You know, the, you really cannot overlook that. And I think if people think they can just take a pill and eat junk and they're going to be fine, it's just not true. So you really need to look at what's going into your child, you know, is it real food? Is are there additives? Is there too much sugar? Are they are they actually getting nutrients with what they eat? And you know, only twenty percent of children in Australia get their five servings of vegetables. Mm. Most kids here don't get enough magnesium. Most kids get far too much sugar. And those three things alone will have a huge impact on your behavior, your ability to learn and focus, and of course also your physical health. So, you know, I became more and more interested in those aspects of health. And then I did um, an extra course or many, many courses in environmental health and nutritional medicine. And that's what I kind of specialize in now, looking at how um, toxins in the environment affect our children's development and health and how nutrition affects them and that's what I use in my practice mostly yeah amazing and for anyone who just heard you talking about those nutrient deficiencies that happen when children aren't eating their veggies uh, definitely head back to show number seven it was such a good conversation and really navigates that very specifically um, and then, of course, we've got the Thrive course that helps you get the food into the kids and loving it. So there's lots of resources for um, parents who are struggling on that front. Um, but today, I really want to hone in on behavior and focus and um, and uh, children's health from, from those two specific uh, areas and, and often related because it seems like I almost feel like there are there are two issues at play here. We have an education system that tends to fail about half our kids because kids just aren't designed to sit still at desks for six hours looking up at a board and a teacher and rote learning and writing things on paper. But we do also have some genuine behavioural issues uh, around concentration and focus that are being brought on by several other factors, whether they be environmental toxin related, food related, deficiency related, uh, or um, or simply you know junk related by how much crap that we're eating because our bodies don't understand it. So let's talk about. Um, I hate the word normal, but when should a parent be concerned? Um, what becomes abnormal behaviorally for you as a practitioner um, where you would think, gosh, I wish that parent would come see me because what's going on there is not quite right? You know, that's a really interesting question because I think the expectations of parents and teachers are very, very varied. Exactly. <laughs> you know, some, and we 
you know, there was just a new study that confirmed a previous study that showed that children, the youngest children in a class, have are twice as likely to get a diagnosis of ADHD compared to the oldest kids in the class. So all you're doing is comparing kids who are almost a year younger compared to the older ones. Mm. And, and that's enough to get them a diagnosis. And obviously, they're not twice as likely to have ADHD. It's just that they're more immature mm. and that the expectations are that they act as mature as the oldest kids in the class. So I think that's one thing. It's it's really your expectations as a teacher and your expectations as a parent. And, you know, interestingly, when, when they asked parents of children, with the parents were asked first, is your child cooperative or not cooperative? You know, are they oppositional or they do what you ask them? And so, um, and then they asked, they got about half and half. And then they asked them how often to just tick during a day, how often they actually cooperated and how often they didn't cooperate with what the parents asked them to do. Mm. And interestingly, there was no difference. It was just that some parents only remembered the times when the kids didn't do what they were told to do. And the other parents were so positive that they remembered every time the child did what they asked wow. them to do. Wow. So that makes it really hard to develop some science around that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it is really important to have realistic expectations. As you said, yeah. what's a normal eight-year-old? What's a normal four-year-old? Yeah. And, um, you know, there are parents who come to me and say, my two-year-old has ADHD, or someone told them, your two-year-old mm. has ADHD. And I said, well, you can't even make a diagnosis of ADHD in a child under five, because it's normal behavior mm. in a young child to be hyper and, you know, to be active mm. and to be exploring and not to be sitting still and to be running around and, and only playing with a toy maybe for five or 10 minutes and then moving on to another one. There are, of course, children who are you know, have a longer focus already at that young age, but it is perfectly within the normal range of development not to have a, a great a long time of for focusing mm. on something. It's so interesting, isn't it? Because, um, uh, and I mean, I'm not likening kids to dogs. Well, sometimes maybe, but <laughs> I was literally just told by a fellow parent at the school, she had her dog at the vet for a series of little issues and the, the vet confided in her that 20% of the dogs in our area are on some sort of sedation, like mild sedation, um, not because they're like abnormal, but I think because we're almost wanting placated pets because it's easier for us. And I often wonder that about the education system and, and parenting as well. It is easier for us when, and I'm absolutely not judging anybody who medicates their children. You know, there are so many cases where that's absolutely an important part of whatever protocol they might be on. But I find it interesting just to speak to what you were saying about our expectations. Um, maybe our expectations are that our kids are a lot calmer than they actually naturally want to be. Well, and maybe they're not as calm because our lifestyle has changed so much. I mean, mm. It's actually a really interesting parallel that you draw there with the dogs because a lot of dogs are put on antidepressants, mm. on SSRIs, because they're left home alone all day. Mm. And, of course, a dog is not meant to be alone, right? They yeah. are, um, they're animals that live in groups and hang out with each other. And nowadays they hang out with us humans. And if we leave them home alone for eight or ten hours, of course they're not going to be happy. Yeah. So rather than changing our lifestyle and, you know, now in some countries you're allowed to bring your dog to work. Yeah, <laughs> which yeah. I think it's a great idea. It actually makes the, um, the people happier and the dogs happier. But... Um, 
you know, so we're dragging them into our lifestyle to fit in. And I think sometimes the same thing is happening with our children because we used to, I mean, I just talked to someone the other day who said, when I was a child and they were now maybe, I don't know, 40, we were out all day and we knew when the streetlights went on, that's when we had to go home for dinner. Mm. And um, so, you know, it's not, they weren't that old because I had streetlights. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and they were just, you know, they were out the doors. So that meant they were getting vitamin D, they were getting exercise, they were getting fresh air. And of course there was less pollution in those days than there is today. And so they were tired and they were, you know, they got all that activity that they needed to then be able to sit down at dinner and eat and then go to sleep. Mm. And if you sleep well, of course, you're going to be calmer and better and have better concentration the next day at school. Yeah. So it all plays in together. So if we are now keeping our children mostly indoors because maybe we don't have time to take them outside and it's not safe enough for them to be outside by themselves in some areas. And it's just more convenient to have them inside playing on a computer or, you know, doing some inside play rather than outside. It really is not what we evolved to do. Mm. We evolved to be outdoors and active, especially, I mean, I think at any age we evolved to do that, yeah. but children need it even more than we do. They just need to be out and about. And if you look at the progressive schools, some of them, especially boys' schools, what they do now the, in the first few years, they let them do 15 minutes of work and then they take them outside into the fields and make them run around for 15 minutes. Mm. So it's really short bits of work and they find that the kids actually learn faster and more and remember it better than the kids who are kept in for an hour and a half and then have a break. Yeah. You know? So it, it's just, um, we need to give our children more outdoor active time. I think that's the biggest message of the year and there's yeah. you know you know we have a new um, association of lifestyle medicine in australia and you know it's, it's booming you know all the yeah. lifestyle not just for chronic disease for adults but we of course know that heart disease and diabetes and cancer are very much related to your lifestyle but um also for children mm. you know? Lifestyle yeah. trumps everything else. It sure does. And so, given that as a as a context, as something for people to really sit with over um, the next little while and think about, you know, what it looks like for us on a day to day basis, what we could change to make sure that we're getting a lot more activity and nature time into our children's lives. There is still obviously a situation where we step outside of that normal and where brain development isn't happening as um, as optimally as it could for whatever number of reasons. So let's have a look at that now. And if you could take us through um, when things aren't quite right, um, what you see clinically as being the major reasons for um, brain development issues. Yeah, so I think that there are definitely kids who don't do, um, who don't follow the traditional pathway of, or, you know, the um, of just becoming calmer over time and being able to concentrate and focus on things. And the things um, that I see would be danger signs for me to look at is um, a child who's always tired, mm -hmm. you know, because children are not supposed to be tired. They're supposed to be active and then sleep. <laughs> yeah. But if they're too tired during the day to do anything, then they may be low on iron, which interferes not just with your energy levels, but also with your production of uh, neurotransmitters, mm. the calming neurotransmitters in the brain. 
and therefore focus on concentration and so on and learning. So fatigue, tiredness, not a good sign. If they're really pale and have dark circles under their eyes, I would get them checked for iron and for allergies. The, the, shine, the dark circles under the eyes may be not enough sleep, but I find that very often they mean allergies or sensitivities to mm. either something in the environment like dust mites or pollen or a food. Mm. Then the other um, things I uh, think are kind of danger signs is if a child is really bouncing off the walls. You mm. know, they cannot sit still. They're just, um, I mean, I have children coming into my practice and they take every single toy out of the shelves. Mm. And those of you who've been to my practice know that there are a lot of toys in my <laughs> shelves. And, and they just throw it on the ground and then they don't play with it. Mm. You know, it's just, so that to me would be something where that child really needs help. Um, now, that doesn't necessarily mean medication. That could be some of the things we talked about before. And I mm. see it again and again, you know, within a month of being on a healthy diet and the supplements that they need and enough exercise, they actually come back and play. Mm. So, um, but that's one. Then if your child um, is shaking, you know, if they have a tremor, there's something definitely not quite right. If they have an unstable walk, you know, if they're always falling over and they're clumsy, I would definitely have them checked because that may mean that there's something in the brain that is not uh, working 100%. Yeah. Um, if they're always unwell, you know, if they're constantly coughing or have a runny nose or if they just have fevers again and again, that's definitely not a healthy child. If they're always unhappy, that's another sign for me that there's something definitely wrong. You know, children are always grumpy and irritable and, you know, nothing you can ever do anything right for them mm. um, or if they're happy it's really only very brief the happiness you yeah. know that's that definitely those kids also need some help and um, and then the the children who um, what was I thinking what else was I thinking unhappiness fatigue always sick or the tummy so that a lot of kids mm. get, have constant tummy aches, you know, or recurrent. And then that's usually an indication that there's something obviously going on with their gut. Yeah. I mean, there's a few kids who have what's called functional abdominal pain, which is just, you know, we don't know why, probably just um, psychologically. But I always look for something else because I would say 99% of the time we find that they're either constipated or they have a parasite or they're sensitive to a food or they um, have reflux, you know, there's lots and lots of different um, issues that could contribute to that. And if a child has constant tummy aches, they're not going to con um, concentrate very well. They're not going to be really happy to play and engage because they don't feel, they don't feel great. Mm, yeah. yeah. So I think those would be my main, of course, if a child has seizures, of course, if a child, you know, had some major infection, all of those things as well. Yeah. But but the more minor things that you look for when you think, oh, should I go see someone or not? Those are those would be my list. Yeah, amazing. And, you know, it was interesting. Obviously, I was very affected by mold in our last apartment and Seb being part me and part Ollie. Um, inherits a few of my genes in the mix. And um, what we noticed when he moved here to our new place, 
was that his handwriting halved in size and became beautiful within a, a month of living in the new place. And we just thought he had messy hand, you know, little boy, messy handwriting. So sometimes I think it's almost important not to overlook a few obvious things as well, like fine motor skills. And have you noticed little things like that impacted by environmental toxins as well? Absolutely. I mean, mm. mold is, of course, a, a major environmental toxin. And I see more and more kids who, you know, people now looking for it. Mm. You know, that, yeah. that used to be kind of rare that people even were aware of it, but now with the um, inquiry at the even at the national level into yeah. mold illness, um, it's becoming a topic, and I think it's a very important one because it can make people, if you're sensitive to mold, very very ill, as mm. you know, mm. yeah. <laughs> Alex, unfortunately. But I mean, I've seen kids whose handwriting, you know, improved dramatically after we improved their gut flora as well. Yeah. And, and something you, you know? said in a talk once, which I thought was fantastic. So let's talk about that thing as we're on the topic of gut was f funny things that you can notice about a child when there's a candida issue. Oh, yes, that is um, very interesting. So candida is if you have too much yeast in your gut and mm. that usually you get that if you had antibiotics and yeah. some of the good bacteria are killed and then the candida kind of has space to grow and overgrow. And the one interesting thing that happens is that the children crave sugars mm. and they do crave the sugars because the candida is actually sending out little chemical messengers to the brain of the child that says, I want sugar, I want sugar. Mm. So they will crave something that they don't actually need the child, but that the yeast inside their gut wants. Mm. And this has now been shown to be true for many different bacteria. So whatever you're eating feeds specific bacteria. If you eat a lot of vegetables, you're going to feed bifidobacteria and lactobacilli. And then if you have a lot of those bacteria, they will ask you to eat more vegetables. Yeah. But if you eat a lot of sugar, then you will have maybe more candida and strep and enterococcus and things that are not so great for you. And then they make you eat more of that bad food. Mm. So it's a vicious cycle and you really have to break it. But so when the children then eat that sugar, they can often become incredibly giggly and silly or even act like they're drunk. The parents will tell me, my child looks like they're drunk. They walk like a drunkard. Mm. And that to me is a sign, mm, mm, that may be something like yeast going on. Yeah. And the treatment obviously is to stop feeding that yeast and um, sometimes using some herbs or even sometimes medication to get rid of the yeast. But the main thing is to stop feeding it. Mm. And that's hard, you know, if you really, if you have a child who's completely addicted to sugar because that yeast is asking for it it takes about three four weeks of having no sugar to overcome that addiction and then they're fine much mm. much better and the other thing that happens with candida often is that the children wake up in the early hours of the morning around one or two and they often stay up for quite a while like an hour or two or three and they're very happy they're wide awake they're chatting and singing and playing. They they don't. They're having a they're having a party. <laughs> and not the parents ideal. are not. Yeah. <laughs> and, wow. Um, and that really goes away very quickly once you treat the candida. So Amazing. And does that happen with adults as well? Um. Well, you know, I don't treat adults. No, I know, <laughs> but, but I'm just curious because a lot of people complain of waking up and being wide awake. Like it could be a factor for insomnia as well. 
I'm sure it's one of the factors. I mean, there are many in adults, of course, yeah. hormones and, you know, adrenaline and cortisol and all those things. But yes, I'm sure it also plays a role. Interesting. And so, and, sorry, go for it. You were just about to say. I was just going to say one thing. You can check if you are wondering whether your child has candida, you can have them stick out their tongue. Mm. And if the tongue is quite white, that's often a sign that there's candida. And then often they have mushy bowel motions. Instead of having nice formed stools, they'll be more mushy and maybe a bit more yellow and have that yeasty smell. Oh, okay. And, and in younger kids, where you still check their bum, yeah. <laughs> you can see a red ring around their anus. And that can also be a sign of, of yeast overgrowth. And okay. of course, babies, uh, but, you know, babies um, are different. We don't expect kids to sit, babies to sit at the desk and concentrate, but they often get a nappy rash. Okay. Candida. And of right. course, the candida often starts early in life, you know. If a child is born by a C-section, the mother got antibiotics during that time, and then you kind of already have the setup for not a great gut flora. Mm. You know? So yeah. things can start very early. They really can. And so speaking to that, what um, are some of the strategies that we can Im- implement lifestyle-wise to um, mitigate that C-section antibiotic kind of profile? And I guess that carries over into a general discussion around um, rehabbing after antibiotics to ensure we protect our gut flora. Yeah, well, I want to quickly say something about C-sections because it's really interesting. I yeah, mean, do. It really depends on what kind of hospital you give birth at. Oh, wow. If you give birth at a private hospital, you have a much, much higher rate of C-sections compared to a public hospital. And that's not based on need, obviously, for a C-section, but on preference maybe of the doctor timing, scheduling, all of those things. And, you know, in America, clearly they showed that it also had something to do with remuneration. So, you know, right. <laughs> I'm not sure about here, but, you know, if you if a doctor knows they make, I don't know, four times as much for a C-section and for natural birth, it may play a role in their decision what they recommend. Wow. But I'm not accusing anyone and especially in Australia people are different they're not as greedy as in America (laughs) (laughs) but um, but so really make you know I mean if you decide that you want a c-section for whatever reason I accept that but I think it needs to be an informed decision and you need to know that actually the risk for complications are much higher in c-sections sometimes Mm. it's absolutely needed I totally agree and they save lives but not at the rate as what they're at which they are performed right now, and especially in private hospitals. Mm-hmm. We don't need that many. So if you are born, if you have a C-section, then there is now interesting research on um, what's called vaginal swabbing, where the, yes. they actually put a swab in the mother's vagina, and you hope that she has a good gut flora, mm-hmm. and and she can work on that in the pregnancy by taking probiotics and eating a healthy diet, um, and and then that swab, actually the baby's face and body gets swabbed with that swab after birth mm-hmm. so that um, the baby's exposed to the bacteria and the flora that it would have swallowed if it had gone through the birth canal. Yeah. 
And then I do recommend probiotics for babies who are born by C-section because yeah. we know that the gut flora of a child born by C-section is completely different from a baby born vaginally. So um, there are probiotics made specifically for babies that contain bifidobacteria. And I would definitely recommend the course of those for a few months. And of course, breastfeeding. You yeah. know, breastfeeding from, has special, breast milk has special factors in it that promote the growth of bifidobacteria, which is the bacteria that we want mostly in a baby hmm. for the first six months. And then you start kind of becoming more diverse, it's more lactobacilli, and you can get other probiotics, but if you still need them. So um, breast milk is amazing in many, many different ways, but a big one is the gut flora. It really promotes the growth of a good gut flora. Mm. So even, even giving one bottle of formula changes your gut flora for four to six weeks. Oh. Just one bottle. Wow. So it's important. Yeah. And then once you start introducing solids, I think it's very important that we give the right kind of solids that feed the right kind of gut flora. Mm -hmm. We used to give children sweetened rice cereal, you know, white rice mm -hmm. with sugar. Yeah. I mean, that's obviously <laughs> not the right choice for the gut flora because that just makes candida yeah. and, and other bacteria grow bad. It, you know, it's really just quite a bizarre thing, you know, and it just shows the impact that industry can have over guidelines I think for me that's the most obvious example of that yeah and I it's, you know even I fed my first child I mean it was brown rice cereal but it was still rice cereal mm. <laughs> it was brown rice and unsweetened but still now I think why was it why would I have done that you yeah. know yeah <laughs> why didn't I just give him some I mean I didn't last very long because very soon he grabbed the food off my plate but um <laughs> And I, luckily, I wasn't eating a rice cereal. <laughs> so, but the recommendation now, what I would say is vegetables, 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 because yeah. that's really what you want the child's taste buds to get used to, and the gut flora thrives on them. So, yeah. sweet potato, avocado, pumpkin, you know, start with things like that and add in a new vegetable every couple of days. And you can blend them in the beginning if you have to, but in baby led weaning, you really just make it, you prepare the food in a way that the baby can actually pick it up with the hand and put it in the mouth, you know, mm -hmm. soft enough that they don't have to chew it too hard because obviously they won't have a lot of teeth at six months. Yeah. But, um, but chunky enough that they can actually grab it and put it in their mouth so that they have control over what they put in their mouth rather than you shoving a, to uh, a spoon into their mouth. Mm, absolutely. And I think, yeah. you know, the, the whole advent of the squeezies has been a real disservice to, um, raising kids who have a broad appreciation for many, many foods because they don't even even see the food they're just sucking it out of a plastic tube with a pretty picture on it and it's just devastating what that does to impact their fine motor skills their their jaw formation because they're not actually having to chew as they get older and older and um and a whole bunch of things so i mean you know everybody knows me there's nothing wrong with having something like that in the back of the car for a traffic jam that you you know comes out of nowhere and you've got a screaming baby in the back for that one-off moment but really think about that as a um as as the the absolute last option um and much more onto the the baby led weaning interactive visual um appreciation of those foods in the early days is critical yeah i totally agree and also you know eating at meal times you know not not grazing i mean some babies need to snack that's fine but i've seen you know children who are kind of fed Constantly, mm. I mean, they're constantly offered little snacks and little 
Cheerios and a little this and a little that. Every time they get into the car, they get a snack. Every time, you know, and I think it's too much. You mm. know, they don't need to constantly be fed, especially nowadays with our epidemic of obesity. We need to, you know, we need to eat when we're hungry. Yeah. And not the rest of the time. And and unfortunately, you know, a lot of people get into that habit because they're fed like that as little children. Um, later on as well, they just eat all day. Yeah. Rather, rather than thinking, am I actually hungry? Do I need to eat now? And what am I putting into my body? Yeah. Hunger um, is a really important conversation our body has with us. So we need to let it have it. And, mm. um, and I'll share in the show notes today a, a article I wrote pretty much on this exact subject a few years ago called Mindful Eating because when I had a little guy that I used to take to the park and I just used to see what was happening and you would see parents, you know, and again, no judgment. It's all about raising awareness, you know, and as the first step of them making changes, but, you know, just handing little Timmy, do you want a banana? Do you want a this? And they're halfway up a play gym. And it's like, no, no, little Timmy's playing on the play gym right now. I think he's pretty happy. And we just, we, I think it might be just this scarcity instinct that a lot of parents have that we we don't have you know we're so fortunate not to have that scarcity and it's so important that we teach great eating habits and to sit down and to stop and to connect with each other when we're eating absolutely and eat together as a family Mm. you know because i mean i also think it's very important that the children eat the same food as the parents yeah when when i see and it's very clear the research shows that that when you cook two different meals the meal for the children lacks nutrients much more so than the meal for the adults the mm. adults get a salad and vegetables and, yeah, yeah. and the kids get french fries or spaghetti with tomato sauce or something like that that's you know we should not do that we should have one meal that's healthy for the whole family and then you can adjust if they're two years old they may not eat everything but you know or if they're six months old they may have it mushed up a little bit but you know it's it really is much much healthier for everyone and also you model your eating to your child yeah they see you eating that food they see you enjoying it it makes a big difference makes you know, a telling them they difference. should eat something eating broccoli will not make them eat it but if they see you eat it they will also want to eat it yeah so true mm. so so true mm. um okay so i wanted to ask you next about um and, and to focus in on behavior um a- again and and focus so when you notice the, the children that are bouncing off the walls that you're talking about, and we've talked about some of the reasons, what are some of the clinical strategies that you put in place um, for parents to, to make steps towards their child feeling more calm um, beyond what we've talked about already? Yeah, I mean, it really starts with the lifestyle yeah so it starts with making sure that the children sleep enough and some children just can't fall asleep and therefore they're chronically sleep deprived and then they bounce off the walls the next day because they're actually extremely overtired so sometimes we need a little chamomile tea in the evening some magnesium for example as an epsom salt bath or sometimes i even use things like uh, melatonin mm-hmm. you know it is a medication but i think at a small dose for the shortest time needed it sometimes really cuts through that sleep cycle problem of the child that they just they can't fall asleep because for whatever reason they're too anxious too wired um, and while we're working on all those reasons why are they too anxious why are they too wired just getting them that sleep makes such a difference so mm-hmm. sleep number 1 
then when you think about it, when you wake up in the morning, what's the next thing is food. What do you eat? So I really go through the diet with, with what's an unprocessed, additive-free, whole foods diet. Yeah. And if you can move towards that with your child, it really, you will see such a huge difference within a few weeks. Mm. The additives you can take out very easily nowadays. I have a on my website under you know, forward slash check checklists, I have a whole list of additives that should not be given to any child, but especially not children who have symptoms of hyperactivity and problems with focus and attention because it really affects them. Mm. And um, so like the orange color 102 or the preservative 202, which is in almost everything you buy at the store, but you can now get every one of those um, foods that you would buy with those um, additives, you can get it without. So yeah, for example, hummus you can get without preservatives now. Yeah. And you can get potato chips without MSG and without coloring. And you, not that you should, should eat potato chips, but if that's one of the things you, you do buy, you mm. can get that. You can get a relatively healthy version or at least an additive-free version yeah. of it. So that's the next thing. Um, and then avoiding toxins. You know, we are bathing our children literally in toxins. The mm. stuff we put on their skin gets absorbed. Anything you put on their skin, whether it's a soap or a cream or a sunscreen, gets absorbed into the bloodstream and affects your brain. So it should be chemical-free. It should be something that you actually would be happy to eat, ideally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And, there's, and we're spoilt for choice now. There's literally no excuse. Absolutely. It's, it is a bit more expensive to get the, the chemical-free versions, but I think it's we need actually very little. Mm. You don't need to buy 10 different products for your child. I'm oh, so yeah. glad you brought that up. Do you know <laughs> something funny that came up in one of the Golotox chat groups once when I was running the course was, um, you know, how does anyone stop their bath gel from only lasting a couple of weeks i'm like so they're buying this big tube of lotox bath gel you know a nice walita one or something but it's running out at the same speed as the other one which means of course the budget alarm bells go off because it's twice the price and um and i'm like well how much is everyone using and then we had this hilarious conversation about the t-zone <laughs> armpits and the mm-hmm bits mm-hmm. and um and and so people were literally lathering their entire bodies up as if they were workmen on a building site all day like needing to wash every <laughs> inch of themselves when really you just you know you just don't need so much and so quite often i find you can end up cost neutral if you just become mindful of how much you're using of things in the first place could you buy a swimming rashi that covers their whole um, torso so that you only need to put a bit of sunscreen on the face and legs. You know, little things like that can end up meaning that it doesn't have to cost you that much more. Exactly, exactly. And I think it actually is much better for the children when you use less. You know, I always say just use a little bit of natural soap for the areas that are really dirty, mm. a tiny bit of natural shampoo, and you really only need like the size of a pea, mm. you know, you don't need much for a young child and you don't need to wash their hair more than once or twice, once a week or every other week, really. Mm. Yeah. And, and they don't need lotion unless they have really dry skin or eczema. And so it, it's, you need very little. Mm. And, but we love to buy, of course. Of know, course. So, and, which I think is one of the real side effects of starting to mm. go down this journey. It's like a beautiful, unexpected side effect. So many people report it. It's like, wow, I just, I've just stopped having to buy so much stuff. Mm. Um, yeah. because, yeah. now, 
I just wanted to talk about toxins a bit more because yes, please. I do see. I think there's some toxins that are very much associated with hyperactivity in children and kind of wild behavior. Mm. In particular, apart from the mold that you already mentioned, lead and mercury. Okay. And I do. I mean, every pediatrician tests for lead and mercury in children who are coming in with concerns about ADHD or hyperactivity and you know behavior issues. Um, and I find them very often elevated. Mm -hmm. and, and there is, you know, we have a normal range in the lab where the lab says up to 60, for example, for mercury is fine. And up to 2.5 is fine for, or 5 is fine for lead. But actually, we do know that there is, absolute, there is no level of lead or mercury that is healthy. Only zero. Wow. They are very potent neurotoxins and they affect a growing brain of a child much more so than an adult brain and we we really need to stop the exposure completely and if we find out that it's in the blood we need to go to great lengths to to find where it's coming from mm. and mercury usually comes from fish large fish of fish are so contaminated in the ocean now mm. that they really you know i think we're soon going getting to that tipping point where it's healthier not to have fish and yeah which is a, crazy an, isn't it an, wow mm, mm. An, an algae oil instead mm. yeah um because that gives you the same omega-3 that you would get from fish yeah and um, and, and you, you recommend what, the um nordic naturals one don't you i think i remember us talking about that one before well, for algae oil, I mean, if you're going to go for fish oil, you need to go for one that is molecularly distilled. Yeah. Yeah, because, and Nordic Naturals does that. A few other companies do it as well. Mm. Um, but I think, you know, why go for something that has to go through this huge amount of processing yes, to take all course. the toxins out? And because it's not just mercury, it's also PCBs and dioxin and, you know, um, pesticides it, they all accumulate in the ocean and if they're fat soluble they will accumulate in fish and the larger the fish the more concentrated the toxins will be mm. so i now recommend algae oil because the fish get their omega-3 by eating algae so why not go to that first source and algae are now you know when i even when I talked to you last time, there were probably two or three products on the market for algae oil, but the market is booming now mm. because there's so much, there is not enough fish in the ocean anymore. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, so what did a I sustainability issue as well. Absolutely. And so algae are produced outside of the ocean in organic um, vats. And so there's no contamination at all. And there are lots of, different ones there's diva d-e-v-a i use personally nuik n-u-n-u-i-q-u-e mm -hmm. which comes from the uk but you know you order it you have it like five days later it arrives at your doorstep and it's very very good and it's not as expensive as the other ones so i love it <laughs> yeah fantastic and and omega-3 is i think is a very very important thing to have in the house even if you don't use it every day as a supplement it's a great replacement for um, neurofin when you have a headache or you know some pain mm. um three of those little capsules and 20 minutes later the pain is gone because it's such a good anti-inflammatory yeah absolutely um, so that's good so so that was about mercury 
Um, I digressed a bit. No, that's <laughs> Sorry. okay. So let's, let's hook into lead then. Oh, and can I ask you, on the subject of metals testing, what type of test are you a fan of? Because a lot of people get the hair test, but that is so contentious. It seems like there's as many people that dismiss it completely as there are who love it. Yeah, I, I mean, I, of course, as a doctor, have access to just blood testing, which is, I right. think, the best test for the current exposure. So mm-hmm. the blood test really shows you just um, what you have been exposed to the last six weeks. Right. So, so if there's lead and mercury in the blood, you know, you need to look for the source right now. Gotcha. You know, and I just quickly wanted to say there are, of course, other exposures to mercury. So, for example, if you break a thermometer, one of those old-fashioned ones with mercury, yeah. that would be a huge exposure. Yeah. yeah. But mm, hardly anyone has those kind of um, thermometers anymore. But what we do have are the energy-saving light bulbs. Yes. And they also have mercury. So if one of those shatters on the ground, mm. and that releases a lot of mercury, and the recommendation actually to clean that up is to take your vacuum, vacuum up, and throw out the vacuum. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So that shows you how toxic it is. Mm, yeah. yeah, we talk about um, it in the low-tox program when we do the heavy metals subject and people are like, what? No way. But it, it's yeah. true. Well, and that, you know, and that vacuum isn't out of the world. It still will expose others. Right? Mm. The people clean up them <laughs> and recycle it or whatever they do with I it. I know. So it's not good. Yeah, and then the other big one is lead. Yeah. And and lead um, usually comes from lead paint. Mm-hmm. So that could be either if you live in an old house that was painted before 1974, they were still using lead and outdoor paint. So and that paint can kind of flake off over time and there can be a very uh, fine dust of lead paint in the garden or wherever, you know, wherever yeah. that that painted wall or door is. And if the children are playing there or on a deck that was painted with lead paint that's really really dangerous Mm. Um, then we can have lead contaminated soil just from um, contamination for example i mean i know that some people live in in house in areas that used to be used for agriculture and sometimes those are quite contaminated as well from the pesticides and um, all the bad things that we used on them and then um, lead can also be on small items painted with lead paint i.e toys that kids put on their mouths and that of course is illegal and you shouldn't have it on there Um, but unfortunately it happens again and again that um, for example a few years ago we had a Thomas a tank engine little train um, from China that was painted with lead paint and it was recalled like a million of those little trains but of course the kids had already played with them yeah exactly and so things like that you know so cheap toys um, sometimes not so cheap so you really have to look at I always I mean just as we talked about skincare the less the better I think the same is true for toys yeah you know, and there was just an article now by the American Academy of Pediatrics that said really for children's development and happiness, it's much better to get some wooden blocks rather than an electronic game. You know, yeah. anything where they can press a button and it does something automatically is not nearly as good for their brain as some cardboard and some pencils and some glue and some wooden blocks, you know. 
um, it's it really you want to stimulate your children's brain and you're not going to do it with something that just flashes at them no so uh, true. So, and then of course if you buy fewer toys you can buy more quality but you know it doesn't have to be expensive it really doesn't have to be i mean uh, my kids favorite toys were huge cardboard boxes that they could paint and turn into houses and into i don't know <laughs> things, yeah. things yeah. fortresses and 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 they were happy for days and days playing with that rather than you know with a little toy that they built even lego i mean i love lego and my kids love lego but they they make it and then it's done yeah and i have now in my practice i kept some of the nicest lego parts from you know 22 years of lego yeah, <laughs> <family>. yeah. <laughs> and they're really interesting pieces but the kids who come to play and the Lego is not the, it used to be everybody's favorite, but now I can see people said, where are the instructions? And I said, well, these are not instructions. You can just build anything you like. Mm. And some kids just don't know what to do. Mm. You know, they have these pieces there and they're nobody telling them exactly what they should build. They, yeah. they can't do it. So I think we really need to go back even there to the basics and encourage kids to use their mind and their creative part of their mind to, to make things out of, nothing <laughs> yeah I so agree I, I remember um, mm. uh, with the there's a type of Lego in my son's sort of generation called Bionicles and he was really into them um, especially around kindy and year one and he came to school one day and he had decided to create his own character so a different character from the one that you get in the box you know once you've got three or four of them you've got all these parts and he decided to make like a super Bionicle with like huge legs and huge arms and he came to school and all his little friends laughed, like mm. as in in reaction, like, what is that? That's not a bite, you know. And they mm. just laughed and he was really confused. And I sort of, thank gosh, I was there because I was able to mitigate it. And I was like, what Seb's done is he's actually created this whole new Bionicle and realized that you can even come up with your own ones once you've got a few. And all of them, they changed instantly. They were like, what? You know, like, cause <laughs> no one had ever given them permission to go think outside the box. And, uh, mm -hmm. and it, it was for me very telling of exactly what you're talking about, that, that lack of invitation to explore creatively. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I think that's, I mean, that's, that's another trend in our, you know, over the last 50 years, just like, you know, we have more and more toxins in our environment and less and less nutritious food. We also have just toys that become less and less creative, mm. you know, or, or creativity stimulating. Yeah. I mean, there are of course still children who are amazingly creative, but I think they all could be creative if we let them, yes. if we encourage them. Yeah, that's right. And, um, okay, so lead and, and mercury, big ones, uh, is it a blood test as in like in the arm that you need to get or can you do these by a pinprick? No, it's usually a blood test in the arm. But, you know, the blood test in the arm is actually, I mean, for most kids it's not so terrible. You can get an M lab plaster that mm -hmm. is a local anesthetic it numbs the area on the skin so they don't actually feel the needle oh great and then you yeah. you know you can if you prepare your child really well and explain what's going to happen and why you're doing it and and then maybe do some you know guided imagery just talking them through a, a favorite place where they want to be and they can close their eyes and they can just concentrate on being wherever that may be, riding their horse or yeah. <laughs> playing at the beach. And, you know, and before you know it, it's, it's finished. I mean, there are some children where it's impossible yeah. because they're so anxious and, you know, um, but I would say most kids 
and you can do a blood test. And if the phlebotomist is good, it really doesn't take very long. Mm. With hair tests, I agree. I mean, there are some people who love them, but I always think of the what are we actually measuring? We're measuring what's coming, what the body is excreting. And we know that those kids who are not good excretors are the ones who are uh, at the highest risk of being affected by heavy metals. So, and those are, for example, children with autism. That was a, the first study that showed us that was a, um, the um, researchers had asked parents of children with autism to give them their first haircut and their baby teeth. And they thought, oh, we're going to find so many heavy metals in there. And then they tested them and they didn't find them. And then they realized only later that these children are actually not detoxifying very well. The, the toxins stick to them like little magnets and they're not coming out in the hair or the teeth. And therefore, they're more affected by the toxins. Wow. And, um, and so measuring the hair didn't really give you much information, right? Oh. So I don't do that. I don't do hair tests. I, I do the blood test. And I mean, I used to do urine testing as well, but I've kind of moved away from that. And that would really only be for kids who are very, very, very much exposed. But in general, it's just a blood test. And it doesn't tell you about past exposure, it tells you only about the last six weeks. So you can do other tests, but I think in general, we really want to deal with what's happening right now, improve it, get rid of the exposure, get rid of the bad things in the environment, and, and, and then help the whole system to get better at detoxifying. And, you know, the things that help with that is enough sleep. In your sleep, your brain cells actually clean themselves, they detoxify. Yeah. Um, healthy diet, when you eat a good diet, your, the fiber in your gut, for example, binds to toxins and you excrete them. Also, the phytates, you know, people, some people say, oh, you can't have legumes, they have phytates. And Actually, the research on phytates show that they're really good for you they're because they bind. They do bind some nutrients. It's true. They bind some zinc and other minerals. And um, but if you eat a very nutritious diet, you probably get more of it than if you eat. <laughs> yes, exactly. A junk diet. Yeah. So you have a little extra. But they also, and more so, bind toxins. Mm. And of course, we all. I mean, it's impossible nowadays to not live to be toxic in this world yeah. and not to be exposed to some toxins. So those phytates and lectins bind some of those toxins and you eliminate them right. with, your, uh, with your bowel motions rather than them getting in, absorbed into the bloodstream. That's so, so interesting because it's so hot right now to kind of avoid lectins, for example, or to try and reduce lectins. Yeah, but if you look at the research, really people who eat legumes, for example, that have yeah. lectins and phytates are healthier than people who don't. Yes, exactly. Yeah? And when people say, oh, but I can't, I get such a tummy, I say, yeah, that's because you are lacking the gut bacteria right now that digest legumes because you haven't eaten any. Mm. So you have to start really slow with like one chickpea a day. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or one teaspoon of lentils and slowly get those bacteria that are actually helping you to digest the legumes to grow. And it, those, it takes a few weeks, but eventually you can... Def almost everybody can eat legumes. It's really just a question of your gut flora. And, you know, it's, um, 
just like when you have eaten a lot of sugar and you crave that sugar because you have so much yeast in your system, it takes a few weeks to get over that, you know? Yeah. It just takes time and you have to be persistent and you have to do it gently and but consistently. Yeah. And and you will change it. And um, so that's really um, another one. So the sleep, the diet, what you so avoiding the exposure, of course, we already talked about that. And then the other thing that's really, really good for detoxing is sweating. Yeah. And of course, the most natural way of sweating is by being active. Mm. So we got full circle. Yeah, <laughs> we want yeah. To be we're active. Back. We yeah. want them to be running around. We want them to be, you know, working up a sweat because that's such a good way of getting ready, rid of toxins. Mm, it's so true. And I really see in my son this just, he's almost desperate to be active at the moment. And I'm sure that's got to. to partly to do with his innate um, understanding that his body's just trying to get rid of some stuff still. Um, I haven't put him on any strict diet, you know, detox protocols per se, other than a little bit of glutathione and, and vitamin C around his surgery that, that you so kindly contributed to um, our surgery guide for. And I found that those recommendations were so helpful to help him bounce back from a hernia operation. Um, but yeah, I, I notice he's just desperate to get out there, get all sweaty. And then he has his shower. He just feels so good. And, you know, I'm trying to like, we're just loading him up with exercise. Uh, and, and it is just wonderful. He, you can see that he is much happier when he exercises a lot. Hmm. Yeah. I think it's, we're, we're really meant to exercise, you know, I mean, the, you know how many people say that sitting is a new smoking mm. and you know i just read an article that says it's really a bit overblown because smoking increases your risk of dying with like i don't know fivefold whereas sitting only by 20 percent mm. <laughs> slightly different but it's the headline not, makes people click like, right exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but it is true that we need to move and yeah. I always like to think of how we evolved. You know, we were hunter-gatherers until 10,000 years ago, and our genes have not changed very much at all over the last maybe 100 or 200,000 years. Yeah. So we're really as much, I mean, we're not going to live like hunter-gatherers, obviously, but the more we can do what what our system is set up to thrive in that's enough sleep and lots of exercise lots of sunshine you know mm. of course you don't want to burn absolutely you know very, so how very do we important. navigate that in australia like what 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 do you recommend to your patients um to to keep it safe yeah, you know, it's interesting. I check everybody's vitamin D level because, of course, I see it. Vitamin D has an effect on your mood. It has an effect on inflammation. And, of course, all of those things, you know, no matter what you talk about, whether it is ADHD or um, anxiety or recurrent infections, all in the end has to do with inflammation, right? Mm. So vitamin D, very, very important for reducing inflammation. Very, very important for your immune system so you don't get sick all the time. And when you think about that's mostly what I see. I see kids who are either sick or their behavior is an issue, right? So that's the two big things. And they're almost everybody's low in vitamin D, you know. And even now, it's December, when I check children's vitamin D levels, they're barely sufficient. Wow. So it's we're not getting enough vitamin D. And the reason is that um, we have to be careful about UV exposure because we don't want our children to end up with skin cancer, obviously. But we need to, to get them enough vitamin D. So what I recommend is that you get an app on your phone that is a UV meter. 
and there are many different ones, and it just shows you how strong UV is, mm -hmm. the UV, UV radiation. And if it is red, then you don't go out. Or, I mean, you can go out, but you have to have your hat on and, you know, or you slip, slap, slap. Yeah. Um, but when it is green, and that usually happens before 9 a.m., maybe before 10, after 4 or 5 p.m., and at those times, I want the kids to be running around with as little clothes on as possible. So if they have, you know, a garden, get out into the garden naked and just soak up the sun. <laughs> yeah. And so, and so basically, you know, what what the common practice culturally where you see these childcare kids being dropped off and 7.30 in the morning in the middle of winter being put sunscreen on, that's the kind of stuff that you would recommend against. And it's more like, especially when they're older kids and you can, you can have them more... Um, autonomous in their behavior, you can say, honey, don't put on the sunscreen now, have a good play before school, don't even wear your hat unless a teacher tells you you have to put it on, but at recess, that's when you pop your sunscreen on or something like that. So that by the time they then finish school and it's late afternoon, that sunscreen has worn off and they can run around again and get more sun then that's safe. That sounds like a good plan. Yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah. And I, I just think we've become over terrified. And my naturopath, Christine, before she had to move back to Germany, she was starting to see rickets in Sydney kids, it was just like, or, you know, mental given we live on in such a, a sunny, sunny place. So it's really important that we find a balance there. Um, I, I agree. The UV app is fantastic. We'll pop it in the show notes for everybody to download. And I think in the winter, everybody needs a vitamin D supplement. Okay. In the winter, you're not, because even though it's, we live in Australia in a sunny country, in the winter, the sun is at an angle where it won't produce enough vitamin D in the skin, even if you get exposure. And of course, in the winter, we also spend less time outdoors. So I am sure in 10 years, maybe sooner in Australia, there will be a public health directive to give every child vitamin D in the winter. In Europe, they're already doing it. Mm. Um, but I think Australia still thinks of it as such a sunny country yeah, that we yeah. don't need it. But if you look at the levels, I mean, I see so many children who are deficient in the winter. And if they have a level now of like 80 which is just sufficient i know that in june or july they were deficient they were under 50 yeah, yeah. and that's why they got the flu and that's why they got lots and lots of infections and were grumpy and you know miserable and if you have low vitamin d you have more asthma symptoms more eczema flare-ups yeah so it is so important so i really really would encourage everyone in the winter parents and children to take a vitamin d supplement Good advice. And in terms of, you know, like, because then a lot of people might jump on the more is more theory, which is not always the case. So what kind of quantities are we talking? So you can overdose on vitamin D because it is a fat soluble vitamin. So mm. anything that's fat soluble, like vitamin A, D, E, K, you can actually overdose on. Yeah. But I have to say it's pretty rare. Yeah. I mean, I, I have checked hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, probably thousands of vitamin D levels and i have never seen a toxic level you know, even in kids who took it so um wow okay so for it really i mean the best guide is to do a blood test to yeah. see you know or or start a supplement so for children probably a thousand units i mean the recommendation generally is a thousand units a day mm. 
that may not be enough for a bigger child. Yeah. yeah. So that's why I think if you take it for a month or six weeks and then you stop it for three days, do a blood test and see where you're at. And mm. optimal is about 120. Right. So yeah. by stopping for three days, that's when you then take the blood test to see what your baseline level is has become? Exactly. Right. So if, gotcha. you, if, you, if you take the vitamin D and then you do a blood test right away, it may be high because you're measuring just what you've taken in. But yeah. if you wait three days, you kind of see what your body actually contains, not what you've just taken. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. So um, I would say at least a thousand in children and for adults, they need at least 2,000. I mean, I personally take 5,000 a day, but I check my vitamin D level regularly and I've never been high. Mm. You know, actually, I don't ever, even with that, I don't ever get to the optimal level of 120. Wow. <laughs> um, but I don't I don't take it in the summer, but in the winter, I mean, having grown up in Germany, yeah, where the winters are terrible and everybody now takes 5,000 a day. All my colleagues in Germany, all my friends take 5,000 a day wow, okay. in the winter. Mm. And, um, you know, and they, they, I don't even think most of them get tested because it's just what everybody does. Yeah. And, and um, I guess uh, uh, over time, people would have seen that that's not really touching the sides in any way that would cause harm. Yeah, I mean, mm. if you gave a baby 5,000 a day, that definitely would be a bad idea. Yeah, you know? so yeah. So you shouldn't do that. But <laughs> um, and, and babies, so if babies are breastfed in America, for example, they do get 400 IUs from the day they're born. Oh, wow. As a supplement. Yeah. Um, because they say breast milk doesn't have enough vitamin D and formula has it added in. Mm. But you can actually give it to the mother instead. Yeah, okay. But the mother needs to take a very high dose in order to get enough into the breast milk and that amount is probably between well the research says between 5,000 and 6,400 IU a day mm. to produce enough vitamin D into the breast milk that the baby gets enough yeah, yeah wow. but then you have both covered and you didn't need to give your baby something yeah 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 so, yeah um, and that's very very important from early on because it really sets up your immune system yeah you know if you have a good vitamin D level from the beginning you you have a much calmer immune system. Mm, interesting. Very interesting. I spent the first four years of my life in London and Chicago. Oh, my God. <laughs> Probably not being <laughs> fed vitamin D and being formula fed and coming from a C-section. So, um, <laughs> gee, I wonder whether that has impacted my, uh, my response to toxins generally. Very interesting. Um, yeah. Okay. So... Uh, if we could finish by um, coming towards, because it is the start of the year, a lot of people are now just coming back into school, early February, and um, some things, some tools that you could say, even some foods that you would share, anything that you have to um, leave as parting wisdom on uh, supporting healthy focus in our children this year. Yeah, so I would say, you know, the holidays are over. Mm. Make sure your children sleep enough. Yeah. And I would say, you know, one of the easiest ways to settle them to sleep is to take all the screens off Yay. for two, three hours before bedtime. Absolutely, yeah. Turn, turn off the Wi-Fi in your house to reduce the exposure to EMFs. Give them a cup of chamomile tea and an Epsom salt bath. And I bet you most children will sleep yeah. <laughs> really well. And make sure that bedtime goes to a reasonable time, yeah, mm. not, not 10 p.m. or 9 p.m. for a young child. So that's number one. And then secondly, I would say invest in a non-toxic, um, pretty... <laughs> 
Lunchbox mm -hmm. and 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 um, chop up vegetables, uh, make some, you know, just don't buy packages of chips and lollies and cookies, but just and and keep it simple. You know, I always think people feel like they have to bake for their children's lunchboxes. You don't have to bake. You know, you can have just um, a little bit of hummus with chopped up carrots and cucumber and red pepper and then um, some a nice sandwich with really wholesome filling or a wrap or even leftovers from dinner and that's usually the healthiest mm. you just give leftovers from dinner and then people say but my child would never eat that I say well have you looked at their zinc levels? <laughs> yes, I know. And that comes back to show number seven. So, so yeah. critical that people go back and listen. Yeah. Right. So if you have low zinc levels, your appetite, your taste buds don't work well and you don't have a great appetite, but you can work on that. Yeah. So, and, and yeah, so feed your children real food and have them sleep enough and play outdoors, running around active. And, you know, if I think one tip that I would have is like, you know, because parents say, oh, I'm so exhausted myself. And it's, you know, real parents are exhausted. They're working and, yeah. you know, looking after their children and after the household. It is a lot. Um, get together a few families and just take turns taking four or five kids to the park for an hour or two in the afternoon and and just do that one afternoon a week you know and if you have five families then you, every afternoon is <laughs> covered yeah and wow and what an amazing call to the village I love that and so simple <laughs> yeah and you don't I mean I know there are wonderful activities for children dancing and soccer and all of those things and they're great but it doesn't have to be, you know, they, they, if, as long as they're active, they could be at the playground or at the beach, I mean, or in the garden playing and hide, playing tag and uh, running around. It's just, they have to be active. That's the main thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it, it doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't have to be organized. It just has to be active is such great advice and I think it's it's such a great call to this generation of kids coming through who are much more um, dependent on devices for whatever reason, whether it's in, incorporated into their learning at school and then, you know, gaming and all the, all the things that we're challenged by that mirror our, um, our less available, double mortgaged, double working family kind of lives that we're leading these days in urban areas especially. And so um, it's just such a great reminder that it doesn't have to be complicated and we don't need to schedule them to the hilt, but we can actually get a roster system happening with our school friends and, and do it that way. There's always a way. We just actually have to, and this is the rude reality check of it all, isn't it? We actually have to prioritise it and realise that we really, really want it for our kids. Yeah, I agree. And I also think that, you know, most people actually crave community. Mm. And many people don't have it, you know, especially in a country like Australia, that's a country of, you know, many, many recent immigrants or, you know, like me. <laughs> I mean, everybody <laughs> wants to meet other people and wants to hang out. And, and I think a lot of people are just reluctant. I think, ah, oh, they don't want to they don't want to do anything with me. Yeah. But or you don't want to bug people. Or you, exactly. you know, it's like spontaneous living mm. has died. You can't just knock on someone's door. It would be hugely rude to do mm. that. So, yeah. But, yeah. But actually everybody is happy when you ask them, hey, let's do something together or let's get the kids together mm. and, you know, or let's take turns. I, I have never 
you know, had someone say, no, I don't yeah, want to do that. You know? agree. They, they actually say, oh, what a great idea. Let's do it. Yeah, totally. And actually, I've got a gorgeous, very good German friend, Santana, who um, who taught me to do that a lot more because she was just so good at it. New immigrant, just organized herself, networked herself, got all these kids coming over to her house all the time. And then therefore, people were always inviting their kids over there and just created community like I've never seen in a way that made me feel like, well, I've lived here almost my whole life. <laughs> I feel like I've done as good a job as you. So it is an it is a bit of an art form. It's almost like a bit of a muscle. We're so uncomfortable with the idea of it. We need to start working it little by little and we get better at it. Mm. <laughs> I like that, yes. Yeah, We'll totally. work that muscle, the community muscle. The community <laughs> muscle. I love it. Thank you so much. This was such a great chat and I feel like, you know, so often we go straight to clinical um, clinical discussions and interventions and things, but there is so much we can do to inc- improve our children's health um, behaviorally uh, in terms of focus uh, by just really going back to the basics. So it was really great to to see how easy it can be for the majority of our kids and to know when things aren't quite right when we do need to go see a practitioner. So thank you so much for joining me once again on the show. Oh, it was a great pleasure talking to you, Alex, as always. And I look forward to the next time. I know, me too. <laughs> me too. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoy having these conversations and bringing them to you. Now, where can you find me and Lotox Life from here on in? Well, you've obviously got lotoxlife.com. And there we have everything beautifully organized into food, home, body, and mind topics, as well as kids, and a whole bunch of free downloadables and resources to help you, inspire you to take community action. And there's amazing A to Z recipes there if you're ever getting a little bit stale in the kitchen and a whole bunch of articles that I've written. You can also find me on Instagram at Lotox Life and also on Facebook by page the same name. I make everything super easy, Lotox Life. So you can find it really, really simply. Thank you so much to everybody who leaves a five-star review over on Stitcher or iTunes or wherever it is that you tune into the show. And also to let you know that you can join us on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Lotox Life and come join the private Lotox Life Club. In there, over time, more and more cool stuff is about to be added. It's a place where we can continue the conversations, chat about the weekly show, you're going to get bonus Q&A and all sorts of things over time. I explain everything over on Patreon, so I encourage you to check that out. And in the meantime, I'll see you next week. Music.